welcome to another episode of How You Can Too with your host, your boy, Alvi, aka Danny, aka Mr. You Can Too. I have an amazing show in store for you today. I am joined by my friend, none other than one of the most eclectic Renaissance women that I know, Rebecca Quinones. We take a deep dive into her upbringing and how her journey has led her to be such a powerful healer and using such modalities such as biofield tuning, just to name one. I know you're going to get so much from this conversation, and I can't wait to share even more conversations with you all with Rebecca. If you enjoy the show, please, please, please leave a five-star review and a rating of the show. It would mean the world to me if you share this with your family, friends, and loved ones. I honor you. I appreciate you. And as always, you can too. Enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a fascinating, amazing guest in the building today. I really pride myself on not only bringing great people onto this show, but surrounding myself in life with really, really amazing people. And this person is one of the most interesting, articulate, intelligent people that I know. And I am so excited for her to be sharing her wisdom, her story with you. I've been telling her it's been a long time coming having her on the show today. And I can just see this being the start of something really great for her. So my guest today is none other than Rebecca Quinones. Rebecca is a graduate from Savannah College of Art and Design with a degree in fiber arts. She has been working in the hospitality carpet design industry for over seven years now. But what you may not realize is that when you speak to her, because she is a modern day Renaissance woman and curious mind seeking to know how we can heal our whole selves. She is a musician, a biofield tuning practitioner, an Akashic record reader, a student of biogeometry, a yogi, and an avid researcher uncovering better ways to live in our environment and with ourselves. Rebecca, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you, Alvi, for inviting me on. It's really an honor. No, I appreciate having you on, and I really mean it, everyone listening. Like, Rebecca is a wealth of knowledge, and I can already see us having multiple shows together because there's no way an hour is going to do justice. <laughs> but but to let people in under the hood a little bit, Rebecca, mm-hmm. how have you started this journey of becoming the Renaissance woman that you are? Yeah, so um, I guess, you know, going back to my childhood and growing up, um, you know, I, like like most children, you know, there was a lot of struggles that I had actually growing up. Um, and one of them was um, reading. You know, I, I struggled with reading, and I remember my mom tells a story that a teacher told her when I was like five that, oh, your daughter's not going to amount to much. <laughs> wow. And my mom got really pissed. <laughs> and uh, I struggled with reading because my eyes maybe don't track as well as other people's eyes, you know, mm. and, you know, I wear glasses and, you know, all, all that. But, um, but they also just don't track well. And even as being a musician, you know, um, I, pl- I play violin and viola. Um, probably sight reading is not, you know, a lot of people can really do that well in the music industry. It's maybe not my biggest forte. 
Um, so, so that was like a thing growing up. Um, but one of the things because of that, that my mom, um, started me on as a young child is she just was like, okay, well then it, it's the, the way to be able to be good at reading is just to practice it. Mm. So, um, I started, you know, you know, my mom just encouraged me to read books and, um, you know, for me, the ticket of reading books, um, if people are out there and they're like, oh, I don't really like to read. And, you know, uh, I guess like the challenge that I like to propose is like, well, maybe it's just not the right, you haven't found the right book. Mm. Um, my dad never, like he always said, I don't ever read, I don't ever read. And I, at one point when I was maybe in my 20s, I started reading A Hundred Years of Solitude by Gabriel Marquez. And um, it's a book in Spanish and then in English. And my, my father, his first language is Spanish. And, you know, I just, I bought him the book in Spanish. And for the first time in his life, like maybe at the time he was in his, maybe in his 40s. Um, and he discovered that he actually did like reading. <laughs> mm. So that's, you know, um, going back to my childhood, I, um, I spent a lot of time reading like Judy Bloom and then in, 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 in middle school, it was like reading mystery novels. And I just learned to love to read. I loved going into the stories of things and, and being able to explore the world through literature. Um, I really loved reading books like Memoirs of a Geisha about different cultures. I was just really fascinated in, in hearing these stories. And um, so, and, and I will also say growing up, um, music became a big turning point also because I, I really struggled in school till probably about age 10 and probably academically as well as socially. And um, music, uh, when I started to do that and I realized that I had a natural talent for it, it's like, it's like I opened Pandora's box. I might use that again because uh -huh. there's many times where I've opened Pandora's box. Mm. Um, and I started to do good in everything else, basically. Um, so sometimes I feel it's about finding, it's like finding your soul fire, those things that inspire you to go down the rabbit hole that where you lose track of time and things like that. It's just that self-discovery. So, you know, I had that opportunity when uh, growing up as a young child. And then I'll also say that um, around age 13, 14, because um, before that it was my, my brother and I, my brother and I are about a year and a half apart and I'm the oldest. Okay. And um, when I was 13, 14 years old, my sister was born into this world. Mm. And um, my mom, when she was pregnant with her, um, the, you know, and this is back in the 90s, so they recommended for her to receive a vaccine, a flu shot. And, and she's the one that tells the story that, you know, she, she got the flu shot and then that night she was really sick with the flu. Mm. And she could also feel the child of, inside of her, so, like just like something had happened. Mm. And then when my sister was born, you know, um, you know, again, babies are little and, you know, you, it's hard to see things when they're really, really little. But as she was, you know, growing, you know, she, she wasn't really like developing her language skills, her motor skills, different things like that. And, you know, I, you know, I think my mom knew when, when she was still pregnant that something had happened, mm. but she didn't know what happened. And, right. and so um, eventually uh, my sister was diagnosed on the autism disorder. 
in the autism disorder. And, and so um, seeing that and, and the struggle that my mom, you know, seeing her break down, you know, many times, because it's challenging. It's, you know, it's challenging raising an, a norm, normal, you know, quote, normal kids. And then if someone needs special attention, like a certain child needs special attention, it's really, really hard. And, and I, you know, I saw her break down, you know, numbers of times. I mean, I, I broke down <laughs> numbers of times taking mm. care of my sister, you know, like, mm. um, it, you know, really it, 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 um, you know, and then the other thing too, I, you know, at a young age, you know, being prescribed different medications like Adderall, I'll just have to say that, you know, from my life experience and seeing, you know, my sister being on like, I don't know how many medications at like age five. Mm. I've, you know, just like, and then she, she didn't want to take them. And so basically we would crush it up and put it in the peanut butter and stuff it down her throat. Mm. And, you know, I, and I, now when I think about it, you know, it just, you know, it, it's, you know, there's that breaking of my heart a little bit, like, you know, and in a sense, you know, I also did this, you know, because that was what the doctor said. And, um, you know, I remember being a young person, you know, again, in my teens and thinking like, who is my sister without these, all of these drugs? Mm. And, um, you know, reflecting on my own experience with, you know, like pharmaceutical drugs um, for like, you know, I've, I've been on like antidepressants in my 20s. And then when I was a teen, you know, I, I you know, was prescribed things like Adderall and Ritalin and things like that at different points. And. You know, as a young person in my teens, it's very interesting because I had that prescription, but like, I just intuitively a lot of times wouldn't take it. Mm, it's like you knew not to. Yeah, I just, I, I just knew, and then, um, so I really question that all of that, you know, and um, as as a young person, and then in my in my twenties, I I um I was in at, at college at Florida State University. And, you know, um, was in my first romantic relationship. And then when, when that fell apart and like, and that was also connected to like all the friends that I knew at that time, it Mm. was like everything kind of collapsed for me. And Mm. at that time I was taking birth control. I was taking, I think I was taking Effexor. It's an antidepressant. Mm. And the doctor also wanted to give me lithium at one point, and I did try it, but I was like, I I, I told him, like, I don't like how this feels, so I'm not going to take this, and I was just like, that's it, (laughs) I'm taking it. Yeah. Um, So this this whole questioning of our medical system, you know, it it came in waves um, many times in my life for, you know, maybe observing, you know, with my sister, or even in my own life, and things like that, and... um, it, you know, whenever I, I had that, you know, shut down in college, um, I had a really interesting opportunity presented to me. And, um, and that was that there was this Catholic religious community in Europe. And um, I didn't want to be home with my parents anymore. And I wasn't ready to go back to school. So I was like, okay, well, let me go live in this <laughs> religious community. And I ended up staying there for six and a half years. Wow. Quite, and, quite the leap of faith, some would say. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, um, I think that living in Europe, uh, again, I met my husband, Brett Fletcher, mm-hmm. in and through this religious community. So, and, and in, in regards to what I 
kind of know about my own, pa- you know, a past life is I believe that I was li- I was living in Europe most li- most of my previous last life. Mm. And so, and and my husband as well. Mm. So again, like think when things happen in our lives, you know, at any time, there could be you know many reasons why we we go through things, you know, that we go through. Right. And, um, you know, and living in the religious community gave me, I mean, it, one, the only book I was really allowed to read was the Bible. Wow. <laughs> so actually, you know, as a, you know, in that time period, you know, how many Christians or Catholics actually have read the Bible? And I, I can't say that I've read it from front to back. Right. But I've read a lot of it, you know, and I think that, that you know, reading, you know, historical scriptures, you know, whether it be the Vedas, the Bible, I think it's, you know, again, when, when you're a searcher of knowledge, um, first of all, it's important, to, the most important thing on a spiritual path is the development of discernment. Mm. And, and that means that I'm not going to be picky ex- about what I'm reading, but I'm going to be reading very watchfully in a sense. We're like, okay, mm, that sounds kind of like bullshit. But, you know, it, you know, in a text, there might be like yada, 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 but then there's some golden nuggets. And mm. so when you're doing research, you're really going through, it doesn't matter, like there could be some right information and some wrong information, but through this process of doing this more and more, you start to develop a sense of discernment. Absolutely. So, um, so I lived in that community, and then I, I left after six and a half years, and then, you know, um, came back lived with my parents until I, you know, because I basically started from nothing. And this was, I was probably mm, 28, 29 when I, I left. And I didn't have, I never finished my college degree. And I kind of had to start over again. Mm. And so um, I decided to go to art school. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, it was great. I, you know, I studied textiles and um, there's probably some past life things connected to too mm-hmm. that I, I haven't really explored yet but it is kind of curious to maybe explore that at some point um, and then you know also through college I was dating my husband Brett um, we got married um, I was probably 32 when we got married um, and and then you know um, then we started to live together after that and, and you know um, I've, I've had like you know living with him um, you know, again, there's this karmic ties between people. So, um, when can you explain what karmic ties are for maybe the people listening that that don't know what that means? Okay, so a, a karmic tie. You know, a lot of times we travel in soul groups. So you have the family that you're born into, like in this physical realm. Like I have my mom and my dad, and my brother and my sister. But when I really, you know, and I'm kind of a little bit of an oddball in my family, you know, um, and, but we also have this, there's this idea of soul families or soul groups that, you know, incarnate, you know, together, you know, and so um, one of the things that I've, you know, I've realized over the last three or four years is that, you know, my ability to tap into the Akashic records and Akashic records are the records of past lives. It's also the records of all of the wisdom. So it's not just about past lives. You know, people, let's say somebody is born a savant, meaning like it's Mozart, right? Or Beethoven. And then at three, they're like playing these masterful works. Well, 
probably the mechanism behind that is that you know there is this um remember they, they there's like a part of them that taps into that akashic record that gives them knowledge that you know that they can kind of just connect to and it just comes through them right um but you know going back to the the karmic ties you know i um in my situation i'll just use me as an example you know i believe that my husband and i were actually brother and sister a lifetime ago mm. and um you know i know that I, um that I, we were together when when he and he was a few years back uh, a lifetime ago but i we were together actually when when he passed a lifetime ago mm. and then in between lives you know a, a soul is going to um kind of decide what it wants to do what's its mission you know who they're going to connect with you know certain things like that and so you know i i believe that you know my husband and i you know had probably made some sort of agreement before incarnating that we are going to come together and we're going to help each other awaken mm. yeah so um so i feel very strongly like between my husband and i that that our coming together is so that we can you know challenge each other's awakening right to really awaken this world because my awakening probably didn't and I'm, I'm 40 this year so it, it probably happened around 30 36 not mm. even that long ago i mean mm. i was it, it's like i was seeing the bits and pieces before that but at a certain moment like it's like the whole picture came together mm. so would you describe like a soul awakening as almost like and I, i'm putting it i'm sure mildly here but this huge aha moment of like all the things connecting together and being like, oh shit, like this is what's happening. Yeah, yes. And I had a very, very strong reaction because I was still going to the Catholic church and, you know, I got married in the Catholic church and was going to church every Sunday until about age 35, 36. Mm. And, and when I had that realization that like, there's a lot of great Christians out there, you know, that, and, and there are a lot of amazing people. Um, and, and I will also say about the Christian tradition is that um, what is popular today, and, and this is, you know, this coming from me, and, and there's, well, there's a lot of other sources where, where you could, you know, go and, and look into this. Um, but, um, and if, if anybody's interested, I'll go ahead and just mention a book called Not in His Image by John Lamb Lash. And it's kind of the Gnostic view of early Christianity. But anyways, uh, well, I basically had this realization that, you know, um, that the Catholic Church is really like, it's in cahoots with all these governmental, you know, it's all about control. Mm. Um, the early Catholic Church did away with the idea of reincarnation very early on. Mm. But if you look at the Bible, and like, we, I'll just go back, you know, I'll just refer to the, the New Testament, you know, when it says, you know, roughly, um, and you know, that, um, John the Baptist is Elijah come again. Well, what mm. is that? That's reincarnation. Mm. It's, you know, it's just that, um, and then, and we know now from the discovery of the Nag Hammadi text of other gospels that were not included in the Bible that say a lot of different things that are mm. not in the Bible. So, um, you know, and, people can have lots of opinions here um you know 
But I, this idea, first of all, of, you know, okay, like things that I didn't under, didn't, I, I didn't agree with or didn't understand about the Catholic Church. Confession. Why mm. do you go to a priest to tell them your sins? I, it just mm. seems a little bit, it doesn't seem, it doesn't make any sense. If I ha- did something to somebody that maybe, you know, I could have done a better job or, you know what I mean, or I could have been nice or, or I could have been a better helper or whatever it is, um, isn't it, doesn't it make more sense that I go to that person and just express to them and have like a connection with them right. and, and just share like, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry that, that I, you know, I said it in that way. I didn't really mean it. I, I, I was annoyed because such and such happened, you know, today and it was like my last straw, mm. you know, you know, like that. And I will also say this, um, living in the, in this religious community I, that I lived in, I, that was actually one of the biggest takeaways of living in this religious community. And, and, and it's called Comunita Chinacolo. And it actually helped people with drug problems. Mm. And, and, it, and it's a really fascinating concept because, you know, the idea is that the best person to help a drug addict is another drug addict. Because they've been there, done that, and you can't bullshit them. <laughs> yes. It just, you cannot. And then because somebody, you know, and when you live in this community too, it's like you, you were, if you had something with somebody, you would work it out with them directly. Right. right. And like your other brothers and sisters around you would tell you to do that. Mm. So they'd hold you accountable. So um, I will say that, my experience in the community gave me a lot of tools and it also showed me a lot of the really you know beautiful things about you know christianity that i never learned going to catholic school Mm. and and actually living that so i will say that you know yes six and a half years living in a very strict religious community was is maybe a weird experience but it, 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 you know, in many ways, one of the, the mottos was like, oh, it's a school of life. And I will say that in many ways it is. But then there's a lot of bullshit, you know, there's things that I don't agree with, you know, like, you know, the control of people, you know, that, this, that women have to be modest and this very old way of dating that, you know, no sex before marriage. And, you know, I, I can appreciate waiting like for things like that, like. It, you know, if you meet somebody and you have really strong feelings for them, you know, yeah, you can just get in the sack and go for it. But I can also, you know, understand the benefits of waiting because, right. you know, um, you really want to know if that person loves you for everything that you are, not just for your body or whatever it is that it could be. Right. Um, so I, I will say that, you know, community gave me a, just a lot of different tools um, in, in that kind of self-awareness and, and, and being honest and upfront with people and having the courage to do that, you know, and, um, and, and it taught me also, I felt a lot of genuine love and compassion from so many mm. people there. You know, we would spend time, um, in the community, like doing skits and, and, you know, be, you know, creating, creating comedy for, for ourselves and for our brothers and sisters. So, um, you know, we did a lot of manual labor, like digging ditches and holes and <laughs> gardening. And, you know, it just, it, it was, 
you know, and I, and I, because I was a musician, I actually got to play music. And probably when I was living in these communities, so it's probably one of the reasons why I ended up staying so long is because I had a very dear group of friends that you mm-hmm. know I played music with, and so it was a very strong bond. Mm. Um, so, but um, other than the community coming back to like you know my relationship with Brett, and um, we we ended up meeting outside, and you know I kind of it's like when you know you when you meet them and you know I definitely had that experience. Mm. with with Brett and um, after being married for a few years um, my Brett has um, he's always struggled with this um, acid reflux or some people refer to it as GERD Mm. Um, and he's had this issue since he was born and um, so a lot of times you know he can seem kind of irritable you know when but it what what I under also understand is that it's a lot of times it's just because he feels that acid coming up into mm, his esophagus that discomfort that discomfort and then you know of course you know it, it can make you feel crabby you know so For I sure. so I understand you know like he it, it's a pain in his throat I guess right <laughs> right so um my husband let's see it was it was three or four years ago. He had like it was it was right around uh, New Year's Eve, and um, he for three days like starting it would it would happen in the afternoon like around twelve five. He'd start to have like folding over pain, mm. and in his ad- ab- abdomen, and he wouldn't sleep at night. And this this happened for like two, and on the third day when it happened again, we were like, okay, well, I guess let's go to the hospital. Mm. Or, uh, well, you know, for, it, it's kind of a long story, but, like, we did some things. First, we went to urgent care. Then we ended up at the hospital. And then we were there overnight. And they did two CT scans. They did an ultrasound. And, you know, at the end of the day, they're like, okay, there's, like, you know, um, a, an infection in your small intestine. And, um, you, you know, it's probably good for you to... Um, when they put down the camera and to look at your esophagus, I can't, mm-hmm. can't remember the name of that right now. It's not coming to me. But um, and he did this procedure to to also look at what's going on um, in his esophagus. And and again, like the doctors didn't have any answers for him, and they told him to keep taking the PPI drugs. Mm. Um, for those who don't know about what PPI drugs are, it they stands for proton pump inhibitor, and. Mm. People that suffer with uh, indigestion or GERD, they generally already have too little acid, mm. and um, it is the acid in your stomach. Like when you, you know, eating your, the food, and then the acid starts to like ramp up, that will indicate to the to the flap between the esophagus and your stomach to close. If you don't have enough stomach acid, it's not going to communicate to that flap to close. So it comes up. And proton pump inhibitors actually reduce your acid even more. Oh, wow. Jeez. So what happens, and, and, you know, some of the side effects of taking these drugs for a long time, which you're not supposed to do, you're supposed to, you know, like, for like, okay, I ate some spicy food, and so I'm going to take this for tonight. But it's not recommended to take it on an everyday basis. Well, Brett was taking it for an everyday basis for a few years. Oh, wow. And is that what they wanted him to do, the doctors? Yes, they wanted him to do that. And, and um, you know, 
I was just like, okay, at, at this point, it's like, it's time to wean off. Right. It's time to wean off. And, and so I'll just say that, like, him going to the hospital and having all this happen, basically, for me, it was like a catalyst to go down the rabbit hole. Right. I wanted to fix this, you know, and, and or learn, you know, <laughs> ultimately, it, you know, he is in charge of healing himself. Right. Right. And but like if I can be of support in, in certain ways, then, you know, I, I can do that as well. And so I started to do research on how to heal the gut. I read a book called Body Ecology. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, in that quest of like doing and I like I started fermenting foods, making water kefir, making sauerkraut, cutting out sugar out of my diet, cutting out refined grains and um, at a certain point too, I, I like I came to the realization because at the time I didn't know, know if I wanted to have kids, and and I understood from my research that w the most important thing, about if you are planning to have kids as a woman and a man in a relationship, I would say both, is to first uh, look at your own health, mm -hmm. and 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 really work on that because the microbiome of the mom. Right. When you have the baby inside of you, it, they're, they're connected. And so, you know, we can talk about how vaccines contribute to autism, and they do. It, right. The way I like to see it is a lot of times it's like the cherry. It's like you put that last grain of sand that was like way too much, and then everything just fell apart. Yeah. Mm. And, but it starts with the microbiome of the mom. Right. That's where it starts. And so... You, you don't want to detox when you're when you're pregnant because right. you need to, they Hello. need to be there with you. Right. But doing it, you know, uh, maybe you know you start you know six to eight months before you deciding to get pregnant and then go through the protocol is a really great idea. Um, and then you know, of course, you let go of that during the pregnancy. Right. Um, and I and I think it's fascinating too to to hear your story of how. One, your own personal experience yeah. with pharmaceutical drugs, yeah. seeing what happened to your sister <laughs> and yeah. what happened with her health, right? And ultimately, your mom's mental and emotional health and also yours, doing your best to take care of your sister and having those breakdowns during the time. Yeah. And then all of the drugs that she ended up being put on and how it impacted her. And then also seeing Brett's health and seeing how Brett's health was impacted by the pharmaceutical drugs. I can see how that led to your own curiosity yeah. of being like, one, I can clearly see something's wrong here. Yeah. And the people who are, you know, quote unquote, supposed to have the answers, their answers aren't necessarily helping. It, and in yeah. many cases, it seems to be adding to the problem. And I resonate with that a lot, too. And when, when I look at my story, you know, I was a very sick child growing up and my mom was very sick mm -hmm. and my brother was very sick. And it was very much tied to all of our lifestyles, right? And then the, the amount of stress mm -hmm. and, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually that came with it. Yeah. With that stress, it manifested into these physical, you know, diseases or these, these physical symptoms. Yeah. But a lot of times, so many people think these symptoms are normal because, oh, well, everyone in my family has something like this. Or, oh, well, there's so many people. Right, it's quote unquote hereditary. When oh, in reality, we can it's, talk about that later a little. Yeah, bit. for sure, yeah. for sure. But I love how you bring this up, and I want for everyone to, that's listening is just to realize and kind of look within yourself and your own family dynamics 
you know, how often are you looking to find your own answers as opposed to just being, you know, spoon fed what mainstream, whether it's media, pharmaceuticals, Western medicine, anything is, is trying to give you. So I definitely appreciate that. I definitely resonate with what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the, you know, going to or, you know, you brought up the medical industry um, and, you know, I, you know, one thing that I realized is that this idea of going to the doctor and being like, doctor, I don't know what's wrong with me. Can you <laughs> tell me? Well, you know, it's good. You know, I, I really believe that, you know, it, it, well, first of all, doctors, you know, they, you know, there's that saying, do no harm, right? Yeah, I remember that. Um, but, you know, it's, it's giving your power away. And um, what, you know, I feel that the future of health is every person taking individual responsibility for themselves. Absolutely. You know, I, I like, you know, it's like, you know, the mother that, that maybe comes and, you know, to me for like a, um, some healing work or something like that. And they're like, you know, I have to wear masks because, um, you know, at home my, my child, is, you know, has pre, you know, like is immunocompromised. And I was like, well, what is it? Oh, my, my son's obese. And, and, and so, so she's wearing a mask to protect her son. But, you know, here's the thing is that whatever your health issues is really, you know, you can, you can play the victim and be like, oh, I'm a victim of this, but then, or you can step into self-empowerment and be like, how can I be, what is my body trying to communicate with me? Right. And how, you know, no one is going to advocate for my health better than me. And no one knows what is what I'm really going through except for me. So that's why even if you're going to a, a healthcare provider, a doctor, whoever it is, it should I, the way that I see it is that it's a co-creative process. Right. And, and, and today and more and more in the medical industry, you have doctors that are like, you don't know what you're talking about. Let me tell you what going on <laughs> right. uh, you know or i don't know some sort right. of flavor of that and how dare you do your own research you're yeah. not qualified well yeah yeah <laughs> you know, and i've gotten like lots of whenever i've gone to the doctor with brett you know some you know i get like you know the weird looks from the doctor if i mention certain things but you know um it, it, it should, it, I feel that it should be like um, a process where we're both involved. You know, first of all, it's like the doctor or the, the care practitioner, healthcare practitioner is working with me, then my feedback is, is first of all, it's very, very important because it's, you know, it, it's, it's driving whatever we're going to do together, like co-create right. as far as a plan to, um, to work on, you know, getting into better health. Or finding a better balance in life, you know. Um, it, even if you're going to, let's say, um, a lifestyle coach, right? They're listening to you. You know, they're right. really trained to listen to you and to help not give you the answers, but help you find your own answers. Right. Um, you know, the best teachers that I've ever had, there, there's this lady, Doris Dewey. She was my reading teacher mm. in, at SCAD, and I'd ask her a question, and she would ask me a question. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh -huh. you know and so um 
you know, I, I really, and I, and I like that, you know, I, a lot of times when I'm, when I'm working with clients, I'm going to also ask them questions. A lot of times they want me to just tell them what I'm, what, <laughs> you know, tell me everything about everything that you're feeling. But, you know, it's also important to, I feel like, help stimulate the conversation of asking the question with, with you know, clients that come and see me because, you know, it, it's, it's their inner work to do. And, you know, I can, if I can be like a guide and helping them to kind of see themselves better, then, then that's, you know, that's, that's kind of the, my goal is to help them to realize that they're an amazing human being and that they have these gifts. And, and, you know, when there's things that, that are, that are like kind of blocking them or I see patterns, I'll, I'll tell them too. It's like, oh, there's, there's this, you keep, you know, it, there's this pattern of forgetfulness. You're not remembering your timeline in your life. And mm. I don't know what that's all about, but I find that very interesting because I might share feedback like that. You right. Know? But ultimately, you know, I can work with people and as you probably work with people too, it's, but it's then up, what people get out of it is what they put into it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, to go with that, I mean, I think it goes hand in hand with what you said earlier about people get to heal themselves or they get to be the one that to lead that process. And both of us, like we're here to serve as guides. We're here to ask the questions. We're here to bring awareness. We're here to maybe point things out that we see that maybe they don't see in that moment. But once we help them see it, it's like, hey, like, what do you think this yeah. means? What comes up for you when yeah. you hear this thing? And you're right. It's like so many people in my experience want to outsource really their life. So yeah. many parts of it. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to eat. Tell me how I should sleep. Tell me what to think. Like, don't let me have to do any of the things. And what I think that creates so much in life is this dependence mm -hmm. on all of these external things, whether, you know, it's dependence on their coach, dependence on their therapist, dependence yeah. on their caregivers, dependence on their spouse, dependence on their government. Like there's all of these things that yeah. end up coming out when there's no emphasis on personal power, right? Personal empowerment, like you put it. And for everyone listening, like, I really want to invite you to check in and see what is it that you're outsourcing versus what is it or what are the things that you're leading in your life yeah. and understand that you're always able to get help. But like Rebecca says, it's a co-creation. Don't allow someone to go out there and try to create it for you, because in my opinion, those things are never sustainable and it never leads to any type of peace or fulfillment. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, to discover your soul fire, that thing that lights you up, that drives you, that, you know, makes you want to wake up in the morning to get going, you know, that, it, it comes from a place deep within. And, you know, we're living in a world today where it's, it, it can be very, very difficult to go within, to right. turn off social media, to, to spend 15 minutes just breathing, you know, um, trying to keep your mind clear, right? I mean, this is something that I'm really working on now um, is in meditation is keeping the mind clear because 
my mind can just be, you know, um, <laughs> free everywhere. I hear it. Um, you know, and very interestingly, um, certain practices, like actually biofield tuning, the work that I, um, the energy modality that I, you know, see clients for, um, is, is actually a really interesting way of, um, it's when I work, it can be kind of like a meditation because, mm. um, you know, when I'm able to keep my mind clear and I'm just focused, you know, on the energy of the biofield, the, the biofield is the energetic field that is in and around the body. Um, in, you know, other, another term for this is aura. Um, biofields is just a scientific term that, you know, I, I don't remember exactly when it was coined. Maybe it was sometime in the 80s. Um, but it's just a term for our energetic field around us. But when I'm working in that field and with, a, with a client, you know, the idea, you know, the idea is that I'm kind of emptying myself, you know, I'm just kind of letting my, you know, my, I'm here, but like, um, there's a term called hollow bone and actually this term hollow bone, um, the person who developed my, uh, biofield tuning, Eileen Day Matusik, she uses that, hmm. but the idea of hollow bone actually comes from shamanic work. Okay. It comes, you know, so it's, you know, it's, you know, kind of before this. So what a shaman does and the way that a shaman works is that they, know how to empty themselves so that they can just tune into the body and the field of who they're working with. And mm. so they, you know, um, and when we're, when I'm working as a biofield tuner, like I just, uh, you'll hear me breathe a lot, like, you know, and I'll sigh. And because the idea is that like, I'm, you know, tapping into the energy in the field and in the body. And then I'll notice sensations in my own body. And then I'll tell my clients, like, I'm really noticing that there's some constriction in the solar plexus area. Maybe take a deep belly breath and see if we can get that flowing better, you know? And, you know, and the client will say, like, yeah, yeah, I really feel that in my solar plexus. Mm. It's like, oh, the, t the chest or the heart feels like there's, like, a rock on it. You know, let's breathe into the heart, you know? So, like, mm. as I'm working, the idea is that you tune in to what the client, what's going on with the client. And Depending on um, the client, I'll also say this, you know, people that, you know, at, at some point will maybe come to this work, biofield tuning, um, I have clients that come and when I'm working on them and I'm asking them, like, do you notice anything in your body? And some people will say, I, I just feel really relaxed. I don't notice anything in particular. And they may not really notice or feel the energy moving. And then I'll have a client that's like super, super um sensitive and they'll be mm. like yeah I, that's oh there's my kidney I feel and then oh that's the liver and they'll t and, and it's actually really fascinating also t working with people that are um really sensitive but it's also fascinating working with people that are not mm. um i'll give you an example um i had this male client and we were doing distance sessions over the phone and you know he would say like you know when we're working together i don't really feel anything i don't notice anything happening but after the session, I feel really tired, you mm. know, and, and that's usually a sign that their body is like integrating the work. It's, it needs to kind of slow down for a second. And, um, and then he was, you know, telling me, uh, you know, because we had a, a series of three sessions that we did together. And on the third session, he was telling me this funny story that he was watching, um, just like a, you know, like a movie that had like, you know, some emotional stuff and that he started crying. <laughs> Wow. And he was like, why am I crying? <laughs> like, mm. what's happening? 
And is he the type of person that doesn't cry very often? Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So um, one of the things that, you know, you'll hear probably biofield tuners, but not just in biofield tuning, in a lot of energy healing modalities is like you feel it to heal it. So Mm. when I'm working with, with clients in the energy field, you know, I'm working maybe, um, you know, in their lifetime, I'm working, you know, through their, um, their lifespan. And, and so what happens in our lives is let's say, you know, we, you know, at four, you know, our parents got divorced and then at age seven, there was a car accident. And then age 14, I got dumped by my first, you know, whatever, like all of these difficult moments that we've had in our lifetime, when I'm working in the biofield, what I'm doing, cause I, and I'm using sound, I'm using tuning forks, but the sound is basically, um, it, it's, it's basically telling the story of what happened in a person's life mm. and you can hear it through the sound of the fork or the, or through the vibration. And at the same time, it's like a biofeedback and then the body hears it's like, Oh, that sounds kind of out of tune. But then it, it, and then it tunes up. It like, it, 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 because it, it responds to the sound and the coherence of the sound. Right. And so it helps to bring the coherence into the field and then the body. Mm. And, you know, we don't treat or diagnose any disease. However, um, if a lot of dis-ease, illness, unbalance, you know, imbalances in the body, they are happening in your energetic field and then if you know certain patterns happen over and over again then they start to manifest in the physical body down the road but before Mm. it's in your physical body and it's 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 showing up as i don't know lupus or fibromyalgia or whatever it could be um it's actually in your field there's there's like a Mm. there's a, a trail in your field in many different places and the the biofield tuning work in that sense it gets to the root cause because if the root cause is something in your life experiences that is like undigested emotions right then Mm. we can treat the undigested emotions right (laughs) right we're not treating illnesses but we're helping the body to finally process all of these unprocessed emotions Mm. um and so in that way you know you know clients feel lighter um Maybe if they've been on thyroid medication, they, they end up not taking as much of it or not needing as much, and they're able to reduce the amount of medication over time. Um, you know, I've had people come for anxiety. Um, I had one client that came for a long time, you know, did many, many sessions. And, you know, after, and, and it was a lot of work that we did together, but, you know, when I asked him after we'd done so much work, I'm like, well, how... You know, if you would say on a scale of one to a hundred, like what, how much reduction in anxiety have you had? And he mm. told me like 80%. Jeez. That's yeah. profound. Yeah. Yeah. And so what, what I feel biofield tuning helps to do is first of all, um, you know, the first seven years of our lives, we are sponges. Right. So everything that our parents are emotionally um, living out and playing out, we're in a sense absorbing that. And, and so for the first seven years, there can be things in, you know, in your field that first of all, it didn't even belong to you. Mm, it right. came from your mother or from your grandmother. So you know, going back to this idea of 
Oh yeah, it was hered depression in my family is a hereditary thing, so we're all gonna suffer from that. There's a truth to that, and the truth is that it it there's the tone of depression in your family mm, line. Got it. But what I'm here to say is that you can tune that out. Let's go. You can tune it out <laughs> because it, if it didn't belong to you to begin with, then you can actually clear that from your field. Mm. Um, and so in that sense, there's no need to be uh, think that you are a victim of that pattern of depression. This is something that you know any person, whatever it is and whatever the emotions are, if, if they you know if they if you sit down and maybe just think about you know some of the patterns that you have that may not serve you, and you really observe like well where did that come from? Mm. You know where did that come from? Like um, let me see uh, maybe I can give some personal examples for myself. Um, so my mom, you know, my mom and I, like, you know, we can be like, you know, kind of, you know, where we argue a lot, you know, and, mm -hmm. we, you know, like, and we can butt heads because we both have very strong personalities and we both maybe want to be right about something, you know, but, you know, and, and, and we can, you know, both be a little bit righteous. Maybe we, you know, we can come off that way. But like, you know, I can recognize, you know, um, in a certain sense, like, okay, you know, yes, I, ha I see that in myself. And, and part of that is because, you know, I've been treated, you know, in a certain way by not just my mom, but a lot of other family members, you know, that that's the way that, 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 that they spoke to me. Mm. And so, you know, and that's the way that they just like, you know, went at like people because like, I grew up in a very like, you know, religious uh, Catholic family. And so the sense of righteousness about the right way in the Catholic church and, and, you know, this is right. And this is wrong. Like this was very, very strong in my own upbringing. So, mm. you know, I've been working on, you know, noticing that in myself, you know, noticing like, okay, w where am I also like, you know, maybe being righteous or inflexible and where you know how can I let go of that and how can I like you know um, find a different way of being able to speak my truth right and and you know learn how to just kind of um, unravel that um, that reaction mechanism that I have now my family will trigger that probably you know more than anybody anybody else of course like as, as we mm -hmm. all know uh, yeah, I know that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, that's something that I'm conscious of. And, you know, I am I am working on that. And then certain things I understand that, yes, part of it is, too, that I do have a strong personality. And, um, you know, if, if something is true or if I see injustice or I feel that, I, you know, in my own opinion, I see injustice, like I'm the kind of person that will speak up. And right. that will say something and say that opinion that maybe is not popular or that's underrepresented. Um, I, you know, the more that I think about it, and, and, you know, when you asked me to, like, uh, to come and talk on the podcast and, you know, reflecting on my own relationship with my mother, you know, my mother growing up, if I said something that she didn't like to hear, she mm. just shut me down and told me how, how I was wrong and that it was like this way. And, you know, I really thank you for asking me to do this because I realized that, like, you know what? 
Um, but the other thing, you know, and, and I'm just speaking from my own experience and maybe people can relate to their own families, but, um, you know, my mom would tell me things like, you can only trust your family, you know, mm. and I understand where she's coming from. She's a Cuban refugee, you know, in that time when my family left Cuba, they could probably really only count on each other. Mm. And in a certain sense, that's true. That was true for her. But, you know, I realized in my life that I, I tried that and, you know, and then in my mid-30s, I was like, this is not working for me. Mm. You know, but this, this idea that I can depend only on my family, because I would try and speak about, you know, everything that I was interested in. And, you know, I, I was just finding that, I, you know, the, the, it would get interrupted, the conversation. They didn't want to really listen to what I had to say. And so, you know, I realized, it's like, well it's up to me to find an audience it, and find people that are interested in the message that I have to bring and, and, you know, and, and just realize that I, you know, I don't expect that from my family and I mm -hmm. don't, I don't need that from them. I love them in, in, in many ways, but you know, I can also, um, find, you know, if I want to communicate what I'm passionate about, then I, w I can find my audience. Absolutely. And, and in that sense, then be self-empowered and not be that victim of like, oh, no one listens to me. You know, that, mm. that story of like, no one ever listens to me. And, I, you know, I'll say that I, I you know, I've, you know, really struggled with that, you know, um, probably throughout my life. And um, but, you know, today I, you know, it, it's, it's also led me to be like, you know what, it's time to speak my truth and to share it and hopefully... It, it will um, touch somebody to to be able to speak their truth or you know in that you know in whatever way that um, that is healthy you know and and, and co-creative and um, you know in that sense mm -hmm. so um, thank you so much for you know bringing me on because um, our family healing is um, you know um, I, I'll say that certain you know like what I also recognize too is that for for me and probably probably most everybody will relate to this a little bit is like what we struggle with in our relationships with our parents. You know, for me, there's a lot you know maybe going on with my mom, but um, we carry that in all of our relationships. For sure. And so when we work on finding peace with those relationships with our families that we really struggle with and which is the something that I'm still doing um, then the other relationships transform it becomes easier to be in relationship with everybody else and um, you know because I definitely see you know that lens you know of like you know maybe the difficulty I have with my mom and then that, how that uh, that translates into everything else and right. then I, I'm, you know, I really want to, you know, work on myself so that, you know, that can transform into like a superpower rather than being something that holds me back. Amen. Amen. I mean, I think that's such a powerful statement and I resonate a lot with that as well. You know, a lot of my healing has occurred after my mom's death mm -hmm. and realizing how turbulent our relationship was. Yeah. And it's interesting. It's like I'm, I'm it's six years after her death and I'm writing my first book, which is all of my transformational life lessons uh, through my mom's death. And it's just been fascinating to go through the process of 
reliving these stories. And right mm-hmm. now I'm going through the fourth round of the editing process. And literally every time I go in and I'm editing and I'm rereading it, all of these emotions show up in mm-hmm. terms of like sadness, frustration, anger, you know, the tears, the, the visceral manifestations of it. But what I've noticed is like, wow, like I have done so much healing and I'm still doing the healing. Yeah. And I realize that my relationships are so much better now with the people around me because of the work that I've done to heal myself. Yeah. And I think you're spot on. And, and for people listening right now to kind of think about, you know, what are those close family relationships that you have that maybe they need work and maybe you are going into the mindset of thinking that that other person needs to change or they need to do their work, which is probably true to an extent, but you have no control over no that. Control. <laughs> right. So it's like, how do you go ahead and empower yourself, work on the things you can control and see how you can work on maybe some of the ways that you're showing up, just like how Rebecca said, it might not even be your stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just think it's so important. It can really change the way that we experience ourselves and our lives overall. Yeah. Yeah, we really can only um, change the way our, our perspective and the way that we react or we, and, and ultimately we don't want to be reactive. Right. Know, we, we want to be able to just, um, you know, go with the motions um, from that neutral place. Um, and, and it takes work to get there. And, and anybody that is interested in pursuing any spiritual path of initiation, um, and, and what I mean by initiation and, and what that means is um, and every religious tradition has a path of initiation, and, and that is really just awakening our latent abilities, just other, you know, our, our spiritual capacity. Um, but the, the big work in, in that, that's, that's the tough thing to do, or maybe we can think, maybe we'll, we'll change that and think of it as easeful. So, cause again, like, you know, how we think about it frames, you know, oh, it's, it's really hard. So it's mm-hmm. just like saying it's really hard. It's like, well, it might be really hard. <laughs> Yeah. But if we can say that it's easeful, it, it requires dedication, though. So maybe I'll say that it, it requires a real dedication. And part of the, the first things and important essential things to do is learning how to be neutral mm. and not reactive. And again, it takes real dedication because there's so much in the world that, that can trigger you. Like... I'll give you an example. <laughs> I got triggered today. I, I, I was like looking through my emails and Art Basel's coming up. And um, there's an art, you know, I usually sometimes get tickets for, you know, free tickets to some of the shows. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I look at it and it's, it's for the untitled art fair and, you know, Art Basel. And they're like, yeah, we're going to require either a vaccine passport or a negative COVID test, and you still got to wear masks. And I was just like, <laughs> right. I like had a reaction. You. I'm like, well, I don't want to support that, you know. Right. <laughs> right. You know, and and I'm free to 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 see that if you know if if I if that's what I believe in, you know, you know, I just I believe in in you know the freedom to choose and. And I had a really interesting 
realization, and, and I, I probably saw this before, but it just made me think about, made me think about 9-11 mm. and how that changed the whole way that we traveled abroad and in airports. Right. Yeah. And now, now we're going to have to get a, 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 a COVID test for everything that we got to do. Like every time we want to go do something, we got to get that. It's like, you know, how can you make things, how can we make things like really annoying and hard for everybody? Right, right. <laughs> you know, and, you know, I just, it, 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 so th- again, for me, that's something that like I, I, I struggle with because I really advocate freedom of, of choice. You know, whether you choose to get a vaccine, great. Whether you choose not to get a vaccine, great. It's, I, for me, it should be an individual choice. It shouldn't Great. be something that is required, um, you know. And so, you know, when I see these things, yeah, I get triggered. But at the same time, like, and I was listening to um, Kelly Brogan talk about this. And, you know, she said something very interesting in that, like, you know, and she's, you know, in the health field for, for quite a few years now. And, you know, uh, because, you know, she felt, again, let down by the medical community. And, um, but at the same time, like even being on this side of thing where you do value the freedom and, and, and the freedom of choice, um, you know, we can, you know, I can get, re- you know, even righteous about that. And that may not even be helping the situation because it, it's, that is divisive too. Right. And so, you know, I can think about, you know, my reactions in that it's like, well, you know, I don't agree with that, but I also don't don't want that to dis- to di- necessarily disturb my peace either. You right. know, like it's not I don't want that to ruin my day and I'm thinking <laughs> yeah, about right. that for the rest of the day. You know, I want to um, be able to to find my peace and 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 ultimately when we do get angry about things, I think it's really a call to be an activist. Like right. how how do you get your voice out there? How do you say something about how do you speak your truth and and just share that? You know, because um you know, I feel that there's a lot going on in, in the U.S. right now, and there's probably a lot of people don't really like it. But, you know, is anybody speaking up about about what they don't like? Right. A- and do they feel safe even doing that? You yeah, know, I, I think a lot of people don't do that because they don't feel they don't feel safe. Yeah, I agree with that. And and so it, it's. It's it's very very interesting territory, and I had um I had someone contact me for a biofield cleaning session just the other day, and they asked me about my vaccine status, and quite frankly, I just don't you know it whatever happened to HIPAA laws, right? That pr- that are supposed to protect the privacy of medical information, and and quite frankly, you know the whole um, medical industry very interesting how they occasionally go and they change the definitions of things like they changed Mm. recently the definition of what a vaccine is and probably also the HIPAA laws like the the the, um definite they change the definitions because now they've changed the definition to not uh, for the HIPAA that it doesn't you know it doesn't include the the COVID vaccine information and it's just like (sighs) okay but you know and, and, you know, she was asking me if, like, I did, you know, sessions outside and things like that. And 
and because he was wanting an in-person session and and you know if if the person you know if you know the practitioners if I don't tell her my vaccine status or if I tell her no I'm not vaccinated she wants me to be vaccinated but she doesn't feel comfortable around me but she does want an in-person session and she was like oh well I'll see I'll see and um you know and and then I ended up like I thought about it and then you know afterwards I wrote a you know I wrote a letter and I was like look you know if this is a concern I understand and if that if this is the case then really the best way for us to work together and and respect each other and and you know not be uncomfortable is that we do it as a distance session and I also invited her to be like and and you can go and ask other practitioners there's other ones in this area you can see you know maybe you maybe that's a better fit or we can work together but based on you know your concerns probably the best way to do this is at a distance because then we don't need to worry about you know it the vaccine status right so and that's one of the very interesting and amazing things about the work that i do and energy healing in in general is that you can do this stuff at a distance so if, if a person is concerned you know for whatever their reasons are maybe they have someone in the family that you know their husband has cancer and so they're taking certain precautions or whatever it is then they can still receive the work you know in the comfort of their home uh, of their home and you know we can connect via phone call it works exactly the same as if we were doing an in-person session so um you know there's there's so many ways of working um and you know i think that also 2020 and things shutting down really opened um you know it made people stop and think and and many companies have had to re- redo and rethink the way that they they work um, right. A lot of people have gone to online platforms that maybe they didn't do that and they were procrastinating and, you know, but then the situation happens and they're like, okay, well, w- this is the, w- we're going to do this right now because this, right. this is what's, what's calling to happen right now. Um, so, um, you know, there, there's a way to, to be able to work together. Um, but I, you know, it's interesting too, um, that I'm noticing that, you know, certain people really want the in-person sessions because if they've never maybe experienced energy work and they don't understand maybe the science behind distance healing, then um, it's just something that, um, you know, they might uh, receive it a little bit better, especially at first. Maybe this is their first session. They might receive it better if it's in person. Right. But I'm going to also say that I have found that working at a distance sometimes is even more profound. Mm. And the reason why, and, and it's, 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 um, cause attention is intention, right? Mm, yep. So when, when I don't have a physical person that comes over to my office and they're on my massage table and I'm talking to them and I'm like, oh, are you comfortable? Can I get you some water? When I'm not dealing with, that and and you know it's i love doing in-person sessions but when i when that's not happening that just means that i i can focus on the field in a different kind of way right there's more focus on the field and less focus on like oh do i need to maybe 
get them something so that they're comfortable or, you know, mm. things like that. And so um, I, I can kind of go in to the field in a, in a different way. I have a different kind of focus. Makes sense. It's like you're taking out a lot of the other physical considerations yes. that maybe your attention would go to. Yes. And so it just, it's just like, you know, it, it just kicks it all to the side. And then I just, I can get in there. And then when I'm working at a distance, because, you know, if I'm working with a physical body too, and, and even when I'm working on the physical bodies, like I want to take a, a tuning fork and use a crystal and like, like, let's say I'm going to zap the liver, zap the liver. <laughs> um, you know, if I'm doing a distance session, you know, my intention is that it's like, it's in that body. It's like, it's in there, mm. you know, that, it, you know, or if I'm, you know, I could even take like a, an acupuncture meridian chart, like what's behind me. And I can maybe, you know, work on, on a distance session and maybe choose to like use a tuning fork and go to very specific acupuncture meridian points and work in that kind of way, which on a body, you know, I'm, I'm not, um, you know, I, I don't do acupuncture, so I don't have that all memorized, you right. know, like somebody that does that for a living. But if I were to work with a chart, that could be really interesting. It'd be a, a very cool way for me to learn more about and, and memorize and learn more about the acupuncture meridian lines. But then I'd be able to work, you know, it's a creative way of working that's a little Absolutely. bit different. And um, at, at the same time can be very, very targeted. You know, um, you know, if someone was having issues with their gallbladder, then I would look, you know, find out, okay, what, where's the circuit of the gallbladder? What is the other paired organ with it? And then you work kind of in that way. And I could use a, a, an acupuncture chart with some tuning forks and a crystal and like work very, very specifically. Um, where if I was doing an in-person session, it'd be a little bit, I mean, I'd, it'd be a little di more difficult to actually work that way. Absolutely. I'd probably, that makes sense. I would work a different way. Um, mm -hmm. So, um, you know, there's a lot of biofield tuners out there. And what I also love about the biofield tuning community is that there's a lot of tuners that have like their special, their special thing. Mm. Um, there's a biofield tuner that works on heat. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so she just, that's all this person does is work on the teeth. And what's interesting about the teeth is, um, are you familiar with the work of Dr. Jerry Tennant? I've heard of the name, but I'm not deep into his work. Okay. Uh, I'll send you a talk later. If you, oh, please. You know. <laughs> I want to dive in. Um, but, you know, he, this man healed himself. He mm. healed himself. And um, all of, every single tooth is connected to a different acupuncture meridian line. So you oh, can wow. even see your teeth as a circuit breaker for your body. Oh, wow. He also talks about in one of his talks, Healing is Voltage, about how um, the correlation between cancer and dental work, like root mm. canals. Um, a root canal will lower your immunity by 63%. Jeez. And very often, if people are manifesting a kind of cancer in their body, like let's say it's a breast cancer, use an example if they've had teeth work done like a root canal very often the side of the body that they have cancer will be the same side that they have the root canal mm. yeah yeah and um wow. my my there's a chiropractor uh, doctor of chinese medicine here in miami dr charlene canali and um you know 
her husband too, or she, you know, when, when I talked to her, she'd tell me about like the struggle. Um, you know, her husband was diagnosed with cancer and it, you know, it happened and then it went away and then it happened again. Mm. Um, and he had reconnect. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and so, um, and she was very much aware for, by that time of the connection between, um, root canals and, and cancer. Um, but again, if, if you're, if you're, if it reduces your immunity by 63%, um, you know, usually people get by for a long time until their body can't. And so that's what happens with, with people's health is that, you know, they kind of, they just keep going on and on and then they hit like 60 or something and then everything starts to kind of fall apart right. and it, it didn't just happen overnight. It happened, nope. it happened over a long period of time and, um, you know, it, and the root canal things are, you know, even other dental work, um, can, can have that kind of effect among other things. Um, and that's, mm. I think another key important, um, thing about health is the microbiome right so for sure so gut health and that's basically where I started with my own research I was very interested in learning more about the microbiome the gut brain connection and you know on my own healing journey you know I tell people that I actually grew younger in my 30s <laughs> I feel that <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, and I'm 40 years old and, you know, I definitely feel more alive. I look more alive than I did when I was 30, for sure. Um, mm. I, I lost a lot of weight. Um, I mean, I wasn't obese or anything like that before, but I had lost like 20 pounds, 20, 30 pounds. Wow. Um, wow. So, and, and I was, it wasn't even intentional. Mm. I right, right. That wasn't your goal. That wasn't my goal. It wasn't, was not on my radar at all. But, you know, I was pleasantly surprised. <laughs> I, was, I was happy about it when I realized. <laughs> but it took, it's funny because I didn't see it. I didn't see it at all. And people kept saying it to me like, oh, you look like you lost weight or what are you doing? Mm. And, and I kept kind of just brushing it off and brushing it off. And I'm like, why is everyone saying that to me? Like, I, just, uh. I didn't understand it. And then I went to the doctor and I got on a scale and then I was like, Oh, that's what it took for me to actually mm. realize, despite a lot of people telling me. And sometimes it goes to show sometimes our own stubbornness. Right. You know, like just oh. not, not, you know, needing somebody outside of us to tell us this. But then I, even beyond that, I needed to actually see it. Like I got on the scale and I was like, oh, my gosh. I yeah, that. actually seeing it yourself actually gave the opportunity to realize it. I, I was thinking that my my this is this is the truth. I thought that my my clothes were just stretching out. <laughs> Seriously, that that was yeah, that's hilarious. What I thought, and then I realized, no, I just shrunk. There you go, <laughs> there you go. That's hilarious. And then it's so funny too because my I laugh about it, but my you know my when I when my parents and my family saw me like that for the first time. My dad was just like, what's wrong with you? You need to uh, eat. You need to eat. You're too skinny. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm like the healthiest I've been. <laughs> right. It's so fascinating. Yeah. It's so fascinating. Yeah, just, man, people's perception of how they they view you 
it's not going to impact you when you're so clear with yourself and you know what you're doing intentionally. Yes. And yeah, it might have certain, um, you know, consequences to you as a positive consequence. But then for these other people, they're perceiving it as a negative consequence just because of yeah. how they view life. Yeah. And then it's, it's hard, um, you know, it's hard, I think, for a lot of people outside of ourselves understand the change that we're going through until later on. Mm. I, was, I was actually having this conversation with, um, with Nelson, because he was mm-hmm. over here, the other friend. Nice. And, um, you know, he was sharing his story about how he didn't want to go to college and, um, you know, he, he dropped out of school and his family was like, why are you doing that? And you're ruining your life. But he's like, no, I want to be an entrepreneur. I, this is what I want to do. I'm not going to go to school. I'm not going to waste my time doing that. And, you know, maybe like 10 years later, they're like, oh, I understand now. Right. <laughs> 10, years, right. 10 years later. Because so they saw the outcome. Yeah. Yeah. So for, for people out there, too, that, you know, that feel inhibited because what are other people going to think about what I really love and what I want to do? Mm. You know, I, I want to invite you to have courage and understand that everyone around you may not understand. And that's okay. It's right. okay. And, you know, that process of, of doing it anyways, because that feels right for us, that's such a, that's, that's so self-empowering to, mm. to be able to do that. And your family will understand later. Right. They will get it later. They will see you as a changed person. So it's like exactly. the thing that I tell myself is like my family doesn't understand, but my, what my aim is just to transform myself so that eventually they just, they will eventually see it. Absolutely. They, they see the, the creation of it. They might not uh, understand in the beginning. They, they're not there to see the process. No. But once they see this developed product, you know, they'll, they'll have all of the, the information they need to know that you're doing what's best for you. Yeah. And then, you know, and reg- and even in that, there's st- there still might be a lot of things that they may not agree with or, or understand because of their own frame of reference. And that's right. And that's fine. Um, but, it, it, you know, so it, it definitely takes some courage. Absolutely. Courage is huge in this life. <laughs> courage is huge with all of the external validation that I see people seeking or the keeping up with the Joneses or just being part of this, you know, tribal or, or herd mentality, you know, it takes a lot of courage to be yourself and to understand that you know what's best for you and that you can trust that you're going to find the right answers along the way. And like you said, not everyone might not be okay with it and that's okay in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's it's good it's doing you know doing it anyways. It that's what builds character, you know. Um, I can think back to a lot of times in my life when things were very difficult, you know, difficult moments and things like that, or they got dark. But there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. You know, I can think of times when I was depressed and folded over and like poor me poor me poor me you know Mm -hmm. in a way that was you know (laughs) you know it's it's a little bit ridiculous 
Uh-huh. But then at the same time, like I, I come out the other end and I, and I learn something about myself, you know, like I went, I went through some sort of dark night of the soul, but then had a really right. profound realization. And, um, through, through those difficulties, you know, sometimes you just, you really see how strong you are. Like, um, when, when Brett had my husband, you know, when he, um, had his knee was getting ready for his knee surgery <laughs> and at this point he really couldn't he had to stop working mm. and I'll you know it was a difficult time you know between us because it just you know it brings you know it brings everything to the forefront right and um, but at the same time like in living through that and you know going out the other end it's like oh wow I was able to support both of us for mm. this amount of time and you know right. maybe I didn't think you know maybe may, I didn't know that I was capable of that before mm. but now that I, and now I see that I I am and that that's really powerful and you know and there there's a sense of like you know accomplish not you know accomplishment in that like I okay I see I see my strength right you know you have what it takes yeah yeah i know i have what it takes to you know regardless even of you know my partner being you know injured at the time and he was he was you know not 100 percent, and it was a very vulnerable moment for for him Mm. and and to see your own strength come out you know it's like when when other people have you know their loved ones go through some maybe some sort of chronic illness um, and you know everything that they muster to to just like that they they pull out of themselves that right. they didn't know was there um, you know being with my sister another you know many times when it's pulled out a lot of things that I never knew I was capable of when I when I lived in this religious community you know um, when people would enter they would actually um, have and they would call it, you know, having a guardian angel. So somebody that mm. was there with you all the time. And they they were like your guide um, while you were transitioning into this life of, of this religious community. But a lot of times, like, let's, they would put a lot of difficult people with me. Mm, look at that. Yeah. And the reason why is because, again, like maybe also coming from my experience with my sister that's on the spectrum – I was able to be firm and flexible with with these new people entering into the community that maybe other people in the house with me didn't have those skills in, in the right. same way mm. as I did. And you know, and I've and I I got hit in the face, you know. <laughs> mm. You know, when when people enter in a community and they're coming off drugs, let's say, like let's say they're coming off crystal meth or cocaine and things like that they can be really aggressive Mm. and so like you know probably brett also experienced this too in community um but i you know i i did as well and i saw a lot of you know it really opened my eyes to many ways that people suffer in this life um but then also um in the community we also one thing that it really taught me is learning to appreciate the small that's beautiful um and having a sense of gratitude um because sometimes you didn't always have toilet paper 
Mm. You know, you, yeah. you had a bidet and you washed yourself. And right. so, and if you didn't have milk, you didn't have milk. And, and so to learn to have what you have and make the most of it is also another thing that um, living in this world of community really taught me. Mm. And I think that's a, that's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful sentiment. And I think a beautiful place to leave the listeners yeah. is understanding just how important it is to appreciate the small things, yeah. have gratitude for what is, yeah. and to ultimately realize that you're a powerful individual creator that can empower yourself to do whatever it is that you're looking to transcend and create in your life. And Rebecca, this is an amazing conversation. I appreciate you taking this time. Can you let all the people listening know where they can find you online and learn more about you? Yeah, I, I have a website and it is um, www.mindbody-harmonics.com. And it's not Love an it. underscore, it's a dash. So it's mindbody-harmonics.com. Perfect. How about on, uh, on Instagram? On Instagram, it is at Einstein Flows. Ooh. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Everyone listening, please, 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 please check out Rebecca. She can help you so much. She's a source of so much knowledge and so much healing. And definitely look into doing some biofield tuning with her. You will not regret it. Rebecca, thank you so, 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 so much for your time. And we'll definitely need to do another one of these very soon. Yes. Great. Thank you, everyone. Ooh. <laughs>